0: But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at a few verses in Ephesians 4 today, but our main verse will be verse 29. And last week we talked about uh, 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 worship as sort of a primer to our sermon series coming up on the 22nd of January on the subject of revival. And today I wanted to use this Sunday as well as another sermon that just kind of helps prepare us for what we are going to be talking about. And I want to talk to us today about our conduct, about our speech as Christians, that we are called as followers of Jesus Christ to build up. But what we tend to do as Christians, and we major in this, is we tear others down. Isn't that true? And if God is going to bless this house with revival, he's not going to bless a house that is divided, a house that is at war at each other, a house that is bickering with each other. He's going to bless a house that is striving to bring glory and honor to his name, especially with our words, our actions, and our thoughts and deeds. So we are going to spend some time in Ephesians 4, and I want to just preface this whole thing with two takeaways for our whole sermon, and that is that God has given you a tremendous power, and secondly, that God wants to use that power for good, and here's why. Because that power is literally the power of life and death. The power is detailed for us in Proverbs 18.21 that says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruits. And there are ways that we can speak death to people. We can tear them down and beat them up. And there are ways that we can speak life to people and build them up. Our words are very important. And our words matter a lot. And maybe you haven't given much credit for how much your words have weight to. And in light of that, I want you to consider this. A recent study says that the average person speaks 16,000 words a day. Now, me and Norman, we speak way more than that, okay? But the average person speaks 16,000 words a day. Uh, Some speak more, some speak less, but the average person is 16,000 words in the ballpark of that. So this is 16,000 times a day that we are impacting the lives of other people through the way that we speak. And maybe you're here today, and you're apathetic to the way that you speak, and you're thinking, "Is this really a big deal? Does God really care how I speak?" Well, just look how, the, how James puts it in James three, chapter, uh, or sorry, three, eight to ten. He says, "But no human can tame the tongue; it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God." From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. In other words, God cares a lot about your words and the way that you speak to others because death and life are in the power of your tongue, are in the power of your words. So let's begin today by asking this question. Am I being intentional about using words that build others up? This week were the people who are closest to me built up by my words or were the people closest to me torn down by my words this week or the past couple of weeks. Which leads us to our first point today which is I must stop tearing down others with corrupt words. Now, before we break down verse 29 of Ephesians, which is our main verse today, let's just quickly look at verse 1, which kind of sets the pace for us, which gives us context for verse 29. Let's read it together, which says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. The word walk refers to living your life or having a lifestyle that is worthy of that calling that you have been called, which should prompt the question in your minds this morning, well, what is the calling? What am I called to? Well, the calling is a calling of holiness, to love God, to love your neighbors. He's saying, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to walk, to live your life in a way, in a manner that is worthy of this calling of holiness that you have received from God the Father. And see, verse uh, first, uh, or sorry, chapter four is a turning point in Paul's letter to the Ephesians because up to this point, from chapters one to three, Paul has been detailing for the Ephesian church the amazing gospel truths that are true for them. And what's amazing is they're still true for us today. And here are just some of the truths in order for you to understand the context of verse 29 today. Some of the gospel truths are that God has chosen us before the created world in Ephesians 1.4. Before God created everything, anything, He had already chosen to save you that you would be His own. Another one is that God has ordained that we would be holy and blameless before Him. God is holy, and no one can enter the presence of God unless you are holy. But we are sinful. So how do we enter into the presence of God? Well, he made a way through Christ Jesus, through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. He made a full payment for your past, present, and future sins. And when you place your faith on him, this is what's amazing, all of Jesus' obedience is now accredited to your account. And all of your sins have been washed away, and you have been made holy and blameless, and you enter into the presence of God. Or as Hebrews says, you confidently go before his throne. Another one is, God has predestined us for adoption. You are a son and daughter of the living God. You are part of God's family fully. Let that sink in. Isn't that amazing? God has given you His Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. God is not only present with you here today, He also lives inside of you. God lives in you. Isn't that amazing? He loves us with a love, which is the next one, that God loves us perfectly. Meaning God can't love you any more than he already loves you right now. Okay, God's love is not like my love or your love or your dad's love or anyone else in your life's love that is conditional. That when you rub us the wrong way, our love dries up. God's love is unconditional. You can't make him love you more. Amen? That's something to celebrate, church. You can't make God love you more because he loves you perfectly right now. God has promised to show us the immeasurable riches of His glory. The moment when we step into glory, when we no longer see in part, but we see in whole with with unveiled faces, we will see the immeasurable grace of God that was upon our lives for how many years we live, and we will worship God like never before that day. It will be a glorious day. So these are just some of the truths that Paul has been communicating to the Ephesian church so far in chapters 1 to 3. But then in verse 4, he turns a corner. And he says, in light of all of that and all these glorious truths, in light of who God is and what God has done in the gospel, in light of what he has promised you, because you believe these things, now go and live a life that is worthy of all that. That is worthy of all these promises. Go and worship God the way that you live, including the way that you talk. Ephesians 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Or in other words, in light of the gospel, worship God by the way that you talk, by letting no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So what is corrupting talk? Well, corrupting talk is just a blanket term in the Bible for any kind of speech that dishonors the Lord. This could include crude language, vulgarness and any kind of speech that tears anyone down through gossip or what so be, so be whatever it is. That is corrupting talk. And the word "corrupting" literally means "rotten." It's like when you drive up to the garbage dump, you can already smell it coming through your vents. Everything is rotting. It's that jug of milk that's six months past its expired date, baking in the sun. It's cottage cheese now. Now, sorry if you like cottage cheese, but now it's ruined for you. It's that container in the back of your fridge that anyone, no one knows where it came from. Nobody knows what's in it, and everyone's too afraid to open it. But when you do, there's a whole new world living inside of that container. It's rotten. And it's interesting that the word rotten, which is used here for corrupting, is used in the Bible three different ways. It's to describe one. Here's a really nice one. It's a good air freshener. Rotten fish, rotten fruit, and then Paul uses it for the third time to describe our rotten words. So what he is saying is like the same way someone, you know, you can pick up an apple that is rotten, it's mushy, the skin's peeling under your touch, it's just nasty, and if you were to take that apple and chuck it at someone, it would hit them and explode all of its nastiness all over them. And in the same way, we as believers can throw our rotten words at people, but it doesn't just hit them on the outside, it hits them on the inside and makes a mess, And that's far more damaging than on the outside. Therefore, Paul says, in light of the gospel church, worship God by no longer throwing rotten words at people. Or let's bring it to a more fundamental theological level. Worship God by no longer throwing rotten words at fellow image bearers of God, who are made in the image of God. Let no corrupting talk come from your mouth. And the question is, why would we ever do that anyways? Why would we throw rotten words at others? Well, we don't have to be left long in our wondering. Jesus answers it in Luke 6, 45. He says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, what speaks? His mouth. In other words, whatever is in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth eventually. So what we're learning right now, that corrupting talk comes from a corrupted heart. There is no foul smell coming from your refrigerator unless something's rotting in it. Corrupting talk comes out of a corrupted heart. We don't speak corruptedly unless our hearts have first been corrupted. So how does that happen? How do our hearts become corrupted? Well, Hebrews 3, 12 to 13 gives us that answer. It says, take care, brothers. lest there be in any of you evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Every day is called today, right? And that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So how is our heart corrupted? By sin. The sin within us. Now, if you're in Christ Jesus, then you have been broken free from that sin. Sin has no longer has any power over you. You are no longer enslaved to sin, amen? But the problem with sin is that it's still present on this earth. It's still seeking to insert its influence and reign and rule over your life, and he wants to control you. And ultimately, it's seeking to make the heart, your heart, all about self. And when I use the word heart... You have to know, I'm not talking about that organ inside of your chest that's pumping blood through your vein, okay? or through your veins. I'm talking about the biblical use of heart. Look at this slide on the screen. Thank you, Tyler, for putting this together for me. This is the biblical heart. The biblical heart is the mind, the affections, and the will. That is the biblical heart. So, the heart is the place where we do all of our thinking. The heart is the place where we do all of our desiring and all of our emotions. The heart is also the place where we do all of our choosing. It takes all place in the biblical heart. And here's what sin is trying to do. Sin is trying to seek to influence your thinking. So your thinking is focused all about self instead of being focused on God. Sin seeks to influence our desires so that we value self most more than valuing God most. Sin seeks to influence our will so we are committed to self most instead of being committed to God. This is what sin does. It seeks to make your heart all about self. And out of a heart that is all about self will flow, corrupt it. Words. Why? Because when the heart is corrupted by sin, it starts to focus only on the self. And when we start to look, and then when we start to look to only ourselves, we start to look at other fellow image bearers of God that we are supposed to serve. We start to look at them as existing to serve us. They are here to serve me. And when they don't do that, and when they don't do what we want, what do we do? We get upset. And that's when corrupted words, rotten words, start to flow from our That's when we start to gossip about them and tear them down. Because out of a corrupted heart that is all about self flows corrupted words. It's the parent who tears down their child with words because the child isn't doing what the parent wants. It's the child who tears down the parent with words because the parent isn't doing what the child wants. It's the husband who tears down his wife because she is not doing what he wants. And vice versa, it's the wife who tears down the husband because he is not doing what she wants. Or here's one. It's the one who is on the customer service phone who tears down the agent on the other line because he's not performing the way that we think he should. It's the man who is driving his car and cursing everyone else because everyone else forgot that he's the best driver and they all suck. Or that's just me, one of the two, I don't know. (laughs) Corrupted hearts lead to corrupted words. And because my heart is so often influenced by sin, because my heart is so often about self, there are things that I've said to my wife that I deeply regret. There are things that I've said to my son, Levi, that I deeply regret. There are things that I've said to other people that I deeply regret. And in these moments, the reality is is that my heart was all about self. When I didn't get what I wanted, corrupted words came from my mouth. And I think I'm safe to assume that I'm not the only one who has had that experience in this room, right? So let me ask you this. When is it that corrupted words are most likely to come from your mouth? What is the situation that causes those words to come spewing? And when those words do come out of your mouth, who are they usually directed to? Who is most the recipient of your corrupted words? Ask yourself right now, is there anything that I need to confess to the Lord today regarding my speech this past week? Is there anyone I need to seek forgiveness from today because of the way I've spoken to them? And all these questions lead me to this question, is what do we do with our hearts? Because if our hearts don't change, then our hearts will continue to be all about self. And corrupting words will just keep spewing out of our heart. Like that. So, how do our hearts change so that our words can change? And this answer is going to sound a little trite at first, but I'm going to flesh it out. All right, our hearts change through believing the gospel again and again and again over weeks, over months, and over an entire life until you are dead. It's believing that Jesus Christ loves you so much that He went to the cross on your behalf, believing that all of your sins, including your corrupted talk, has been paid for through His suffering and through His death. This is how our hearts change by believing again who God is, that He is holy. You see, sin doesn't make you hate God. Sin, what it does is makes you forget the goodness of God. It makes you forget who God is. Look at uh, to, so. I want to encourage you to look at what he has done over your life. Remind yourself what he has promised you in his word. Preach these truths to yourself, and your heart will begin to change and it will begin to be influenced by the gospel, which makes you focused on others rather than self. Let's have another look at Hebrews 3 because Hebrews, Hebrews 3 details what we want the opposite of. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there is any of you, uh, uh lest. In any of you, there's an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We want the opposite of that, right? Look at the progression of sin in this passage. Sin corrupts the heart, makes the heart unbelieving, which leads us away from God, and then the heart becomes all about self. But we want the opposite of that. We want a believing heart because a believing heart doesn't move away from God. Rather, it moves towards God and ultimately comes about God. That's what we want. And God uses a believing heart to change our hearts. Our hearts from from being all about self to all about God. God uses believing As we see on the screen. Believing who God is. Believing what he has done. Believing what he has promised. Believing will influence your thinking. So our focus is on God rather than self. Believing will influence our desires so that we value God most instead of valuing self most. Believing will influence the will. So we are most committed to God instead of being most committed to self. Believing all that God has said and done every day changes everything, church. It makes the heart all about God. And when the heart is all about God, corrupted words are no longer coming from that heart. Instead, gracious words begin to flow out of a believing heart. Which leads us to our second and final point today. Which is, I must start building others up with gracious words. Have another look at Ephesians 4:29 that says let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So in light of the gospel not only are we to worship God with our speech by not saying certain things we are also to worship God with our speech by saying certain things. And here's what we're supposed to speak. We're supposed to speak gracious words. Words that give grace. Words that strengthen. Words that encourage. Words that build up. Here are two examples from the Bible where we see this doing well. The first one is uh, Onesiphorus. I've practiced that name thousands of times, and I probably still butchered it. But look at what Paul says about Onesiphorus. He says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Paul the apostle. Paul the church planter, preaching the gospel abroad, refreshing so many other people. But we even see the great apostle needed to be refreshed from others. And he's like, that guy Onesiphorus, he didn't just come into my life once and refresh me. Like, that's great, that would have been nice. But he did that often. He often came into my life and refreshed me. So here's the question for us. Would the people we interact the most describe us as refreshing to them? Would they describe you as being refreshing? Or look at the example of Barnabas. In Acts 4.36, it says, Thus Joseph, who was, also, uh, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So there's this man in the early church. His name is Joseph. And he's so encouraging to the early church and to the apostles that one day the apostles say, Hey, come here, Joseph. We're not going to call you by your boring name anymore. We're going to call you son of encouragement. Barnabas. Again, Let's ask ourselves this question. Would the people that we interact with the most describe us as encouraging? Would they describe you as encouraging? Because here's the truth, church. We are living in a time right now when many, many people are weighed down by discouragement and are in great need of encouragement. And I believe that God wants to use us, that God wants to use you and I to strengthen others, to build them up through the use of our words. And here's, what we can, here's how we can do that one way. We can speak the truth of God to their lives, into their lives. Uh, now, uh, uh, now notice in verse 21, uh, 29, again, I don't have it on the screen here, but Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only that is such as good for building up. And then notice that little, uh, that little phrase, he says, that fits the occasion. So if we are going to speak the word of God to people in a way that fits the occasion, in a way that is relevant to their lives, to their trials and their hardship, that means you're going to have to go and have coffee with them. That means you're going to have to have them over for dinner. That means you're going to have to get to know them. It means you're going to have to sit down with them and speak with them. And most importantly, it means that you're going to have to listen to them. Listen to the story of their lives. And seek and discern as you're listening, okay, what does God's Word have to say to this person what they're going through right now? What truth in God's Word could be helpful for me to share with them right now, to build them up? is Is it a truth of who God is? Is it a truth of what He has done in the Gospel? Is it a promise that they need to be reminded of? Is it a command that God has given them that they need to be reminded of? What can I share from God's Word that will be helpful for them right now? And this is one reason... That we should all be in our Bibles daily. Not so that you can just grow and be blessed. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. But also so that you can be a blessing to others. That you can share something that will build them up. Something that's not trite, but something that is the Word of God that's living, alive, and active, and is sharper than a two-edged sword. Amen? Amen? This is one practical way that we can use our words to build up others. That we can share the Word of God with them that will not return void and that fits the occasion. That is relevant to what they are facing right now. But there's another very practical way that we can use our words to build up others, and, we, and that is that we can point out evidences of God's grace within their lives. I'm not talking about flattery, that you're just going to say some nice words to them, so one day they might say nice words to you. I'm not saying that you're building up someone's self-esteem, telling them that they're awesome when they're really not. I'm talking about being intentional, About pointing out ways that we see God working in people and through people. And there's a word for this, and that word is affirmation. And it's called affirmation because we are affirming people in people that we see God working in them and through them. Affirmation is describing what we see God doing in someone's life. We might say something like, I see God is giving you the courage to be bold for him. That is just awesome. I love your boldness. Or I see that God has given you self-control in this area. That's amazing. Or I see that God has given you such a great worth ethic. That's such an example to me. Thank you. Or I see that God has given you the gift of hospitality and you're using it to bless so many. Thank you for being faithful in your gifts. There are words that, these are words that give life and that bless people and people love to hear this. Because a lot of things we do as believers are thankless jobs. And it's nice when someone comes along and says, I see what you're doing and God sees it. And it's an encouragement to me. Keep going. And normally what that produces is that they serve in greater capacities. These are words that we need to be speaking as Fellowship Baptist Church to one another in ways that resemble the character of Jesus Christ. And we got to confess that this is 100% the work of the Holy Spirit because we are natural as humans to tear down, but the Holy Spirit changes our hearts to build up. I see that God is working in you, giving you strength, giving you a heart to care for others. I see that God has given you joy, and it's such an encouragement to me. I see that God has given you peace in the midst of your greatest storm. I see that God has made you so kind and gentle. I see that you are ministering to that person. I see how faithful you are in your giftedness. I see how you're honoring the Lord and blessing other people. These are words that we need to be speaking. And the Apostle Paul did this all the time. Look at how he opened his letter a little a couple verses after in the beginning of Ephesians he says for this reason because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what your love of all the saints I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. What's he saying? He's saying, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your reputation. And I'm so thankful for that faith. I've heard of your love for one another towards the saints. I'm so thankful for that. And by the way, I've never stopped being thankful and I haven't stopped praying for you. That's so encouraging. So the question, church, is are we speaking like this? Are we speaking like the Apostle Paul about others in our church? Are we pointing out where we're seeing God is working in them and through them? Or are we always pointing out their faults and failures and shortcomings? Are we speaking words that refresh and encourage and build up others? Or are we speaking words of sin, discouraging and destruction? Because listen, we are living in a time where people are starving for encouragement. And God wants to use us to encourage others and he wants to use others to encourage us. Ponder these questions this week. Am I doing this in my closest relationship? Am I doing this with my husband, with my wife, with my parents, with my friends? In your closest relationships, are you speaking words that give grace? Words that encourage and words that build up? Or do you tend to be more of on, the, on the side of how people need to be better? How people need to change? How people need to be different? Because if we are majoring in how people need to be better or people need to be different, but minoring in words that build up, there is sure going to be a relational cost. Yeah. In his book titled Practicing Affirmation, Sam Crabtree uses this analogy. Typically, about a bank, he says, typically we go to a bank. And why we go to a bank is because we're making withdrawals or deposits. Hopefully more deposits than withdrawals, right? But, uh, so let's say when you go to the bank this week, you have $0 in your account. And the only thing you can deposit this every day is $100 a time. That's all you can do. But every time you withdraw, all you can withdraw is $1,000. So let's say you do five of each this coming week. So you make five deposits. How much would that be? $500. You make five withdrawals. How much would that be? So that would leave us where? Minus $4,500 minus $4,500. So even though you made the same number of deposits and withdrawals, they were for different amounts. So you're in the negative. Likewise, affirming someone, building them up, speaking words of encouragement, pointing out God's graces in their lives, every time we do that is like making a $100 deposit in our relational bank account. But every time we criticize them, correct them, negatively tell them something about themselves, if if it's true or not, It's like making a $1,000 withdrawal out of that relational bank account. So consider this. If you give someone five affirmations this week and five corrections this week, that might feel totally balanced to you because it's the same number. But we are actually in the relational red rather than the black. Because corrections are words that people find discouraging at times tend to hold way more weight and are far more easily remembered than affirmations. So when we give someone the same number of affirmations and corrections, the relational account will be overdrawn. And then we're going to be confused because we're going to sit down with these people and they're going to say, finally, man, I just find you so discouraging. And you're like, what? Me? Like Because all we remember is all the good things we've said to them, but all they remember are the negative things. And that's because the relational account is overdrawn. And when that happens, the person's ears are closed. And when the relational count is overdrawn, that person, that husband, that wife, that child, that friend that we so badly just want to communicate with is no longer listening to you. They have tuned you out. So it doesn't matter how valuable your counsel is. It doesn't matter how true it is or how much they need to hear it. It's not being heard. So we can think of it this way. There's nothing you can do to ensure that somebody will listen to your advice. But there is something you can do that will pretty much guarantee that they won't. And that's if you tend to be heavy on the corrections and light on the affirmations. And when we do that, there's a very good chance that they will totally stop listening to you. And this is exactly what's happening in many relationships right now. In many families right now. In many marriages right now. In many churches right now. Especially after everything we have gone through for the past two plus years. But by God's grace, things can change. The direction of relationships can change. Relational accounts can move from the red and into the black. Ears can be opened. Bridges can be made into the lives of those that we love. And it can happen if we are intentionally speaking gracious words that build other people up. And maybe you're thinking, well, what about people in my life that don't know Jesus? How can I point out God's evidence in their life? Well, I'm glad you asked. You guys are so keen. Like, I just love your questions. Because everyone is made in the image of God, they will show slivers of God's grace in their life. This is called common grace. I love this quote by John Murray that sums it all up. He says, He grants them gifts, talents, and aptitudes. He stimulates them with interest and purpose to practice of virtues. The pursuance of worthy tasks and the cultivation of arts and sciences that occupy the time, activity, and energy of men that make for the benefit and civilization of the human race. Now that's a little wordy, but let me just paraphrase. God is working in those who do not know him in ways that benefit themselves and society. And it all glorifies God. And it encourages people when you point that out. When you say things like, I I love doing this with non-believers, I thank God that he has given you so much strength to work hard. Like when I'm talking with artists, because I'm not artistic at all, I'm like, man, God has just given you such great abilities to draw, to paint, to do whatever it is. I thank God and I appreciate how you treat your family and you take care of them. Just pointing out common grace in their life, speaking this way will build a relational bridge that one day might be used by the gospel to travel over and be accepted in their lives. And when people feel encouraged by you, they are way more likely to listen to your corrections, be it a believer or non-believer. But here's the question you probably have, and I can feel the tension. Does that mean we don't correct anyone? Like if a loved one is running past us to the edge of a cliff, we just yell something encouraging at them, like, Hey, nice shoes! (laughs) 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 Right? Obviously, it doesn't mean that. There are times when we must correct others. Love must correct, and it will correct others at times. But at the same time, not everything in life requires a correction. So how do we know when to correct someone and when not to correct someone? Well, I put together this little chart for you. I can't remember who taught this to me, so I had to build it and figure it out. Um, and you can tell that I built this one and not Tyler. Um, and, and this chart helps us to, to realize how and when we bring someone into correction. We see the two points of access. The one is the importance of the issue, and the second one is how sure I am that I am right. Right? How sure I am gonna write? right. So let's say that the issue is not very important. And I don't think that I, I am really light. That, right. That's going to put you about right here. Right? Clearly, you're nowhere close to bring correction and a potential conflict. But what if I'm really sure that I'm right, but it's... uh, 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 Sorry, I skipped one. But uh, 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 what if the issue is really important, but you're not sure you're right about it? Well, that's going to put you right up here. It's an important issue, but you're not sure you're right. So really, it's not that worth a conflict, because you don't want to put your foot in your mouth if you're wrong. What if the issue is really important... Or sorry, what if you're sure that you're really right about this issue but it's not that important. So you know you're right, but it's not that important of an issue. That's going to put you over here. Again, not worth going into a conflict. But what if it's really important and you're really sure that you are right? Well, that's obviously just going to bring you closer and closer to the reality that you are going to have to bring correction. And that correction might bring conflict, but it's worth it because you're sure you're right and it's really important. So there is a time to correct. But not everything in life is a hill to die on. And we need to be discerning and make sure that we are investing in people and building up people because the more that we do that, the more credence our corrections will have. They will actually listen to our advice or at least consider it. We should be making multiple $100 deposits into the relational account for when we make that $1,000 withdrawal, yeah, we're going to feel it, but there's still lots of equity left in the bank. Which all comes back to this. God has given you tremendous power. Your words matter a lot, and He he is calling us to use our words to build others up. Therefore, Fellowship Baptist Church, in light of the gospel from a believing heart, let's worship the Lord by not letting corrupting talk come from our mouths, but let's gracious words come from our mouth, words that are good for building up, that fit the occasion, and that give grace to all that hear. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. Father, we thank you that your word gives us correction. And Lord, that your word, it hurts us at times, it stings. But Father, that pain shows us that there's still areas in our life that we are holding tightly to that you want to transform that you want to renew so lord i ask that as we stand in front of the perfect mirror of scripture today and we see who we truly are lord may it just conform us all the more to the image of christ father may fellowship baptist church be a house of encouragement may it be a house that uses words to build others up May we not be just using flattery and, and, and uh, Lord, disguising our hate for people by, by trying to use false words. But, Lord, may we truly be seeking to discern how the Lord is working in each other's lives and encouraging our, each other. It might be awkward at first, but, Lord, it's important. And, Lord, I pray that you give us the strength to do so. As we go to sing songs of worship to close, Lord, Father, would you continue to work on our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name.